Let us pray. Open wide our hearts, O God, to receive your word this day. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. According to St. Augustine, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are Anger and Courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain that way. For women characters in the Bible, stories of barrenness repeatedly portray desolation and despair. A dictionary-worthy definition is not producing or incapable of producing offspring, sterile, unproductive, unfruitful. And the subtext is this, without capacity to interest or attract. Hannah's story rightly conveys both anger and courage. Anger at the way things are in her life and courage to see to ensure that they will not remain the same. When we began reading the book of Samuel, things are looking pretty bleak for Hannah and also for the people of Israel, for their stories are intertwined. Hannah is involved in a nasty family feud. Her husband, Elkanah, is married to two women. Need I say more? His wife, Peninnah, has given Elkanah children, indeed many children, but Hannah is barren. Peninnah and Hannah don't get along, surprise, surprise, mostly because Peninnah berates Hannah for not having children bullies her about it, and gloats in her presence. Hannah cries a lot. Hannah refuses to accept even the best portion of the meat that her husband Elkanah brings to her when he goes up to the temple and makes sacrifices. Indeed, his favorite wife of the two is Hannah. And he does what he knows to do to spoil her. But Hannah will not be consoled. Elkanah whines to her, Do I not mean more to you than ten sons? You know, why did he never think to say to her instead, Hannah, you mean more to me than ten sons. So here is the tale of one husband, two wives, a favorite wife, one childbearing, one barren, one refusing to eat, and one taunting the other. All of these family dynamics are played out around the worship and sacrifice rituals of the priest and the temple of those who believed in the one God. Israel is in a state of crisis. The Philistines are threatening to invade. The judges are corrupt in meeting out justice. The priests don't have much moral fiber. 
There is confusion, mistrust, and uncertainty about who will lead Israel into her future. I must tell you that it is easy for me to identify with Heron, with Hannah, and her barrenness. For nine long years of our early marriage, my husband and I waited and hoped and prayed for a child through seminary, through my first pastoral appointment, through his first job in a helping profession. We remained bereft. Through infertility treatments, applications to two faith-based adoption agencies, which both told me that I would have to either give up ministry or choose to be a mother. There was no baby and no child. In the early 1970s, particularly with the first wave of clergy women in Protestant denominations, there was not yet a provision in the United Methodist Book of Church Law for clergy women to have maternity leave. It would be a very long time later that clergy men would also receive that right to take time in a family setting to nurture a baby or a child when there was an addition to the family. I remember as a young woman in my first appointment meeting with my supervisory committee, and I was not yet 30, serving as their associate pastor. And because there wasn't a provision for maternity leave, I decided to be transparent and share that we hoped to have a baby while I was appointed there during the length of that time. And I asked them to help me think through the implications for the ministry needs and our family life. Now, can you imagine <clears throat> what it was like for all, all my remaining Sundays in that appointment for someone on that committee to come up to me and ask, well, do you have anything to tell us yet? <clears throat> I must say that it was strange and wrong to have to ask permission to get pregnant from a group of people in the church. There are at least seven women in the Bible who were initially childless or what the scriptures name as barren. The Bible even suggests that God closes a woman's womb or opens a woman's womb. Apparently, the benefits and curses of the law as given to Moses by God shows that if a nation were truly obedient, there would not be any childless couples, nor would they be any animals who did not produce offspring among the people. Sarai, the wife of Abraham, was barren, and she waited until she was in her 90s before God opened her womb miraculously to bear Isaac, a child of promise. He was the beginning of blessings to the nation of Israel. Then came Rebekah. She too prayed mightily, and Isaac also petitioned God for her healing. And she conceived, after 20 years of marriage, 
and had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Along comes Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. She produced two very important sons, Joseph and Benjamin. She lost her life giving birth to Benjamin. The fourth woman in scripture who was childless was Samson's mother, identified only as the wife of Manoah of the tribe of Dan. She was miraculously healed of her barrenness and bore a son who would become the strongest man who ever lived and a judge in Israel. Samson, like Hannah's son later, would be dedicated to be a Nazarite from birth so that he could save God's people from 40 years of bondage under the Philistines. Hannah was the fifth in the line of barren woman of scripture. The sixth was the first wife of David, Saul's daughter, Michal. She was the prize of any man who could bring down the dreaded Goliath of Gath. She actually loved David, but for his own reasons, her father took her out of David's house and annulled that marriage. The seventh and final childless woman is Elizabeth in the Gospels. And you remember she was the wife of Zacharias, barren, but in her old age, conceived John the Baptist. And it is Jesus himself who called John the greatest man born of a woman. The common theme here is that these firstborn sons of the nation of Israel and these barren women would grow up to play very vital roles of leadership in the history of Israel. When these women's wombs were opened, the first children produced would all be used to fill very special purposes for God. So Hannah was in a line of barren women whose stories we encounter in the scripture. Walter Brueggemann has suggested that this passage of 1 Samuel paves the way for a major theme of the book of Samuel, and that is the power and willingness of Yahweh to intrude, intervene, and invert. Hannah's deep longing for a child gave her hope, born out of anger and of courage in her life circumstances. She decided to take her case directly to the Lord God. She went to the temple and prayed in front of Eli the priest, begging God to give her a child. She bargained with God and promised that she would give her son as a servant to the temple after she bore him and weaned him. Now the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk and tried to shoo her away from the gate of the temple. But she persisted and strongly told him that no, she was not drunk. She was a woman deeply troubled who was simply pouring out her heart to God. Eli finally believed her and he promised her that her prayer would be fulfilled. And so Hannah, for the first time, went home from the temple in peace 
and in due time she conceived the first of her many children, a son named Samuel. Samuel means, I have asked him of the Lord. God intruded into the life of Hannah, intervened in her desolate circumstances, and surely inverted her future by opening up her womb to conceive Samuel. And likewise, our gracious God, merciful and full of compassion, made a way to grant the desires of our hearts to have a child. It was deep in the season of Lent, almost 40 years ago now, that we got a phone call at midnight. A nurse from another city told us about the birth of a healthy boy born that day. The birth mother had agreed to place the baby for adoption, but for several reasons, no arrangements had been made with the social service agency for that purpose. And in such a quick measure, God certainly intruded on our sad hearts and loss of hope to be parents by intervening directly in ways that we could not have imagined to invert our circumstances. In four short days, through one miraculous circumstance after another, we brought our son home and named him Christopher, bearer of the Christ. Five months later, we legally adopted him, and he has been our joy ever since. I found out there's a poetry community that includes a group of barren women. Heather Horner created a poem in November of 2017 that you could find online. Hear her longing and the longing of all barren women from the time of Hannah until now. She titled it, Catch. Your mind feels its body, clenching its fist, mourning an absence, craving existence, chasing a hope that floats in the distance, churning a storm that forms a resistance. You are strong, you are worthy, you are whole but only small hands will catch your drifting soul. The very next passages of 1 Samuel following our reading today will be the poetry of Hannah's song. As scholars have aptly noted, this does not sound simply like a prayer of thanksgiving that we would expect from a new mother powerful and sincere as that is. This is rather a song of revolution, for the bows of the mighty in Israel will be broken, the poor will be raised from the dust, and Hannah's song will call to the pillars of injustice that must be pulled down. Hannah, let us be like you. Let us praise the Lord our God and call upon God in our times of deepest distress, trusting in God's promise and goodness.
Remember, Hope has two daughters. Their names are Anger and Courage.